What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the eHunter podcast. Excited to be back again with you guys with another episode. I'm Taryn Hunt. I am uh, the president of eHunter. Uh, Seth won't be joining me tonight, but uh, we'll get him on a on a podcast here pretty soon. But uh, super stoked about this podcast. So the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I've been on some some tough hunts lately. And yeah, if you guys have been on some tough hunts, you know that uh, your body wears down significantly on those kind of hunts. And so I want to do this podcast. I've got Justin Pendleton coming on with me. Justin's been a longtime member of the eHunter crew. He, uh, he's, he's got a, a good knowledge base in a lot of different things. He serves on quite a few different board of director, directors, um, been just a lifelong hunter, and uh, definitely takes very well care of himself. And so we'll get to know him a little bit better. Excited to get him on. And, and so you guys can get to know some of these guys that are part of the e-hunter crew. Um, and, but then also to give you guys a little bit of, uh, you know, just some knowledge base on how to take care of yourself, how to preserve your body, feet, everything while out on these, some of these long hunts. Before we get into the podcast, we want to thank uh, Vortex Optics. They have been a longtime sponsor of ours for the podcast. And for everything at eHunter, so grateful for them. We're in the heart of hunting season right now. And uh, man, I spent a lot of time behind uh, Vortex Glass. So check them out, vortexoptics.com. You can also reach out to us if you have any questions about them. Also, shout out to, to uh, Onyx Maps. Been using them a lot lately. Uh, been in Alaska, had to use Onyx quite a lot to know where to go and to uh, save some waypoints of, of where to be hunting. And so Onyx, is, Onyx has done some master classes lately, been, which have been awesome. If you haven't checked them out, uh, you can go back and watch some of those. But uh, they have a lot of cool stuff on there. Onyx Maps is an amazing tool. If you don't have them, get them. So appreciate them for uh, their sponsorship of the podcast as well. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get Justin into this podcast and uh, we'll get started. But but let's go ahead and get started. And and to start off, Justin, I, I, I don't know how many people know about you and what you do and, and all that. I know you've been a, a longtime member of the, the eHunter crew, and we sure appreciate sure. you. And I know that you're involved with uh, the Winter Range Foundation as a board of director member and, and stuff like that. So let, let's start off with a little bit of introduction. Tell everybody a little bit about you, where you're, where you're at, what you do, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, sure. No, thanks for having me. Um, you guys do some amazing stuff, and I wish I still lived in Wyoming. Every every bit of me craves to be up there. Not that not that Utah is bad. It's not. It's it's great in its own way. But I grew up in in Star Valley, Wyoming. Um, grew up on a dairy farm and, and a ranch, and learned the value of hard work and a love for the outdoors from when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't live in a place like that and not fall in love with the outdoors. And so I grew up just just craving uh, getting out outside. And every year on October 15th, school would let out. Mm-hmm. And that was your cue to go hunting. That was yeah. opening day of, of elk season, you know. And our football coach would always say, as long as you're back by three o'clock for practice, you can go hunting. And so um, I showed up at practice several times blood all over my hands, you know, <laughs> we've been successful, but Hey, I was ready to go. So, so, so I grew up there. Um, I moved to Utah for undergrad and graduate school. I went to law school, uh, down here and I'm a practicing attorney. I'm a shareholder at Curtin and McConkie law firm. 
um, now, and um, and I really enjoy doing that. I really enjoy using the legal expertise that I've been able to gain to further um, a lot of the interests that you see in like the Winter Range mm-hmm. Foundation and other sportsmen's groups that really foster this idea of conservation. Um, I, I, as I as I grow older, um, I see the value of that a lot more than I used to. Yeah. Um, and and I've never been, you know, statute of limitations aside, I've, I've never done anything really that I wasn't supposed to uh, out in the outdoors hunting. But as you grow older, you recognize this, this is a valuable resource and it's a finite resource. It's not infinite. Right. And it's really important to give back and to provide an environment where children and grandchildren and generations to come can enjoy the same thing. So I'm pretty passionate about that. I love that, man. You, you know, I love that you said that, that it's, it's a finite resource. I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast and they were talking about uh, mule deer specifically and how mule deer really aren't a very old species, but there, there's like this, uh, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of data showing that mule deer won't be around forever. Uh, the the landscape doesn't support them. And I was, I was getting really interested in it because mule deer is one of my favorite things to hunt. And to listen to them talk about that that's a resource that, that may go away. I mean, that's that speaks to exactly what you're talking about there, that this is something that we've got to do something about. You know, if our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren want to enjoy what we enjoy, we've got to make changes. We've got to do things now. And so I'm, I'm glad that you appreciate that. I'm glad that you have a passion for that. And that's something that we try to share here on our podcast and on our platform is try to, to encourage people to do that. And I hope people listen to that. I didn't realize you were a, an attorney. I don't know why. I mean, you and I've talked a, mi- a million times. I didn't realize that that's what you, what you did. So uh, I guess I better mind my P's and Q's with you. You don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I'm one of the good ones. Oh, hold it against me. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> Actually, and now that I know that, I, uh, so I take notes, by the way. So if you see me over here writing stuff down, that's what I'm doing is I, I always take notes during these podcasts because I learn, it's my favorite thing about podcasts. I learn more than I think anybody that listens, and so I always, I, I that was one of the notes. I'm, I might use you in the future for a couple of things now, now that Absolutely. I know that. <laughs> Send it my way. <laughs> well, Justin, I sure appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the podcast tonight and, and appreciate everything you've done for eHunter. Appreciate all you're doing for the Winter Range Foundation. Um, you, you've just been, you've given so much time to wildlife and conservation, and I know you're going to, you'll continue to do that. So we're very grateful for that. But wanted to bring you on the podcast tonight to talk a little bit about, well, an issue or a, a thought I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, which is um, preserving our bodies while we're out hunting. And I know, you know, you're saying you're a football player, you're a football player, you know, you, you take very well care of yourself, you, you know, you're, you're big into, you know, fitness, nutrition, and all that fun stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I just came off my hunt in Alaska and it beat the crap out of me just to be completely honest with, with you, you know, how much and, weight did you lose? Dude, I lost a ton. So this actually worked out really well. So we're doing a biggest loser contest in my family right now. I jumped from oh, fourth nice. place to second place because I lost yes. so much weight. Yes. Uh, you can't eat enough mountain house out there. I just, I, I know that as a fact, man. And, and you know this cause you've been in Alaska 
walking six miles in Utah or Wyoming is so much different than walking six miles in Alaska. Walking six miles in Alaska is like walking 20 miles in these areas, in, in the lower 48 down here. So, yeah, it, it kicked my butt. But so it got me thinking about, like, how can we prepare ourselves? Well, I guess prepare ourselves and then also while we're on the hunt, how can we save our bodies a little bit, you know, to help uh, improve the hunt, make it a better hunt, more enjoyable, but ultimately to be able to stay out there hunting longer. Um, Cause that's, that's a big problem is a lot of people get burned out, their body wears out and, and they can't stay out there. And so I want to touch on a few things with you tonight, get your opinion and, and your, your insight on a couple of things. And, and uh, I might work through a little bit of body systems as we, as we go through this. And yeah. so I, I want to start with uh, like cardio and fitness and stuff like that. And, and what recommendations would you have for, for guys not only to prepare, but then also to preserve themselves from a, from a cardiovascular side of things? What do you do? Yeah, so I've been involved, you know, pretty heavy into the fitness scene for, well, I guess, since football, about 25, 26 years now. And um, there's something to be said for preparing your body for different tasks, right? Like when I was in football, um, it was all about bulk because you had to have it and it added uh, some some substance to what you were doing. You know, if I am trying to go through a 230 pound linebacker and I'm only weighing 160, that's going to be a lot harder than if I'm 210. Right. 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 And, and so you build for that. The same thing I think applies to, to hunting. And that is you want to be doing the things that are going to prepare you for what you're going to be doing out in the field. Right now. I still lift lifting is a great is a great thing to do because it preserves muscle tone mm -hmm. but it also increases your metabolism it's actually one of the few things for example once you once you get into a cardiovascular set you're not improving your metabolism right. you're improving your cardiovascular system which is important as well but you're not improving your metabolism so lifting has its own place right but once you start bulking and really developing lots of muscle mass, it's, it, it doesn't help you. Right. It doesn't really even help you when you've got a hundred pound pack, you know, an elk quarter in your bag and you're packing out. And so I, the, what I try to do is, and, and I should say maybe a precursor to all of that is working out sucks. Everybody <laughs> knows it. It does right? And it's hard and we get busy. I, I'm no different than anybody else. I have a very demanding job and I, I get stressed and I don't want to work out. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I've done is I've set up a system for the past, like I said, about 20 years or so that really encourages me to maintain my physical fitness. So what I do is number one, I have a workout partner. I think that is so critical um, I think if you're on your own, some people, Jocko Willink, I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. much of Jocko's stuff. Oh, yeah, 4 a.m. every day. Yeah, so, so Jocko's the type of person that's probably disciplined enough to get up by himself and mm -hmm. do it six, seven days a week. That's the exception to the rule right. in my experience. Right. So I have someone who holds me accountable. Um, it's my hunting buddy. 
We've been on tons of hunts together. And so we're like-minded. We have the same motivation. We encourage each other and we get to do workouts that, that really prepare us for hunting. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is having a set time to work out. If you don't do that, man, it is so easy to just let other stuff, because we're all busy and you let other stuff creep in and you say, oh, I've got Timmy's baseball game and I can't make it tonight. Or I promised my wife I'd watch this show with her, whatever the case may be. Yep. So we get up at 5 a.m. every day, Monday through Saturday, and we go to the gym. And what I do is I do an hour of lifting. Um, I've got a program that, that I'm running that's been really good for me that I had a personal trainer draw up for me that's specific to my goals, which I highly recommend. Um, if Again, if your goal is to bulk up and get ready for football, the program is going to look very different than if you're like, I want to have lean muscle mass and I want to be able to go for days on end. So I do that. We're there 5 a.m. I do an hour of lifting and then I do an hour of cardio um, or what I call semi-cardio, which is things like stair stepper, stuff like that. And then I'll mix that in as I get closer to the season. We're talking like July, August. I'll start to mix in other stuff and say, I'm going to skip a day, a morning at the gym. And I'm going to go hike for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Put on a heavy pack and go. And I'll mix that in with my, my workout regimen. That's been really good for me. Um, I've had some injuries, in, you know, in the past 10 years or so. But, you know, looking back, I've, I haven't had a single injury that has kept me free because I think I've been able to maintain my body well enough that even when I have one of those injuries, I'm like, I can deal with this and I can keep going. Yeah. There's, and that's a really good point. That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is, is overcoming injury because a lot of people do that. You work out seven, six days a week. You're going to have those injuries flare up. But a lot of people, I think one of the big things there is not giving up at that point. You know, there's always things that you can work through or you can work a different, uh, you know, muscle set. You know, if you get a knee injury, you can still do upper body. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about your your hiking, though. Do you feel like, uh, like when you're out hiking, do you feel like you get the same kind of a workout as you do in the gym? Do you do anything special? I guess that's my my question. Do you put weights in your pack? Do you put a weight vest on? Do you do you do anything unique in those situations to help kind of improve that workout? Yeah, great question. Um, I do. I I do a weighted pack. I usually will not go more than like forty or fifty pounds. I found it to be more counterproductive than anything. Granted, so so if I'm going on a seven-day backcountry hunt, I've got my pack weight down to just under 50 pounds with seven days worth of food. Mm-hmm. That That is not including water because mm-hmm. usually I'm bringing a filtration system because water is the biggest weight, weight. factor in your pack, right? Mm-hmm. So... So that's not including water, but that's everything else. And so uh, there, you know, I've, I've actually, um, oh dear, what's his name? Um, he's a big hunter up in Alaska. 
and I'm totally blanking on his name right now, but I've followed some of his system. And he he's talked a lot about if you go over 50 pounds, what you're doing is you're all of a sudden risking more injury than benefit. That that little tilting scale kind of tips towards injury rather than benefit, you know. So that's about where I will will hit mine. What I usually do is I throw a bag of salt um, in, into my pack. Yeah. You know, I've got it for my soft water right there. <laughs> and so I'll throw that in and, and I go and then I've got some water in to keep me hydrated and everything. I think that's really beneficial because like I said, you're, you're headed out on a, on a hunt. It doesn't matter if it's a three, four, five, six, seven day hunt, because the only difference between a three day hunt and a seven day hunt is the amount of food you have. Right. And if you're pretty smart about your food, that doesn't add a lot. It adds about a pound a day, maybe a pound and a half. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at that saying, yeah, I'm going to be about that 50 pound range when I go on a hunt. And so preparing yourself to handle that, um, I think is the best way to prepare. It's the best way I found to prepare. It's like your muscles, you know how it is. Your muscles just, it's different when you're hiking. Mm -hmm. Even when you're doing the stair stepper in the gym, it's just a different motion and movement. It's uneven terrain. Yeah. You're slipping, you're sliding, things like that. I usually don't have poles when I go hunting now. I always use poles because mm -hmm. they help. It's a question um, I was going to ask you. So way to go. I was going to ask you that exact question. Do you use trekking poles when you're out there hunting or hiking? No question. No question. Oh, and pro tip, go with aluminum poles, not carbon fiber. Because carbon fiber is rigid. And if you catch it, so so this was a big discovery up in Alaska. You're going across those scree fields, uh -huh. right? Or even the big boulder fields, you know, those big boulder fields oh, are the worst. They are the terrain worst. I have ever hiked in. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> so, so as you're going across those, if your pole catches and you don't notice it, that carbon fiber is going to snap. Yeah. But if it's aluminum, majority of the time it's going to bend. You're going to be able to bend it back and you've still got a pole for the rest of the hunt until you can get home and get some new poles or whatever. So aluminum, not carbon fiber. That's a good pro tip. So I have never used poles ever. Uh, it's just I don't know. Maybe it's the pride factor in me. I'm like I'm I'm not going to use these poles. I don't I don't need those. Those are those are sissy sticks. Which actually I guess that you know Peaks makes a sissy stick. But um, yeah. it, when we were in Alaska, they actually had a pair. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take them just in case because I figure I'm gonna have a lot of weight on my pack if I'm packing. You know, you know if we all shoot a caribou or something like that, I'm gonna have. I'm going to have well over 50 pounds. I'm probably going to have 150 pounds on my back. I was like, I'm going to bring him. Dude, they they are a lifesaver. Even if you just have one, like when you're side healing, it's so nice to have one to be able to help support some of that weight. I will admit, in the boulder, those boulder fields, they get caught on, and I guess everything in Alaska, there's so much vegetation that they get caught on everything, so that kind of pisses you off. But, you know, but to help support that weight, I, I it was unbelievable how much it saved my knees, my back, really everything. Just kind of maneuvering and moving that that weight, shifting that weight to other points of my body. And and you you hit around on the head with the uh, you know when you're hiking, you're walking on different terrain and and you're in different positions, and so you're 
you're, it's just a different movement. Like you said, a Stairmaster really isn't going to give you the same kind of experience as, as actually being out there hiking. Now, is it better than sitting on the couch? Absolutely. You know, you're still going to build those, those muscle groups. But I, I think, I love that you do that, Justin. I love that you integrate that into your, your training routine. And I, I want to go back a little bit to what you were talking about with the, the muscle mass for, for a hunter. Cause you know, a lot of people think, oh, I need to be really bulky so I can carry all this weight. Well, it's hard to move that bulkiness, whatever you want to call it, all that muscle mass with weight on your back and go, you know, 10, 11 miles. And so I, I I think kind of what you were getting at there is is a balance with and what you do with your workout is a really good balance because you're you're putting that cardio in there you're putting that strength training in there and so kind of a little bit of best of both worlds is is, is that kind of what you're saying there yeah and there is there is this kind of happy uh medium that that i found and and i'm not saying that i'm perfect on it by any means but it's like too skinny um, and you, you do struggle, at least in my experience, the people who are really lean, they tend to not be as good when you're doing like a ruck session, when you've got a heavy pack and a bunch of meat in it, and you've got to take it seven, eight miles back to the trailhead, right? They tend to do poorer than those who are a little bit stockier, right? But on the other hand, if you're too stocky and you're overweight, <laughs> not only is it is it more difficult for your cardiovascular system because it's got to pump oxygen through right. all that extra stuff but it's it's all that extra tension and compression on all these important um you know ligaments and tendons and everything that you have in your body and just think about what an extra 25 30 40 50 pounds is going to do on your knees over time because we all love doing this. Hunting's what we all are passionate about. So don't you want to do that when you're 50, 60, exactly. even 70? I do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at looking at it as a long-term strategy and saying there's a happy medium there where I don't have to be crazy and just like cut out all happiness in my life and be real thin, but I also need to be disciplined enough that I can do this long term. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys that I went to that went to Alaska with me, he uh well he was a professional baseball player, he played for the New York Mets, um retired now obviously. Um and, and he's done a, a career after his his baseball career, but um he's 70 years old and he was out there doing everything that we were doing and we talked about this. We were sitting there in camp one night. In fact, I I almost turned on my my voice recorder on my phone to lay it down as a podcast, but we were talking about this exact thing. He's like, it really came down to, you know, consistently keeping my body in shape. He says, if I had not done that, there is no way that I could be out here in Alaska with a couple 30 year old, 30, 40 year old guys walking through this tundra, walking through these boulder fields and, and being able to, to keep up for one, but then also to be able to shoot a caribou and pack that dang thing out on my back. And so you're, you're right to be able to do this into our fifties, sixties and seventies. Uh, we've got to take care of our, ourself now, be smart about it and, and have a good regimen that will be able to help us now, but also in the future. And, you know, one of the things you talked about was being too skinny. So I'm a marathon runner. I, I love to run marathons. I've ran quite a few in my lifetime and the, the hunts that I go on after a marathon, I am 
poor. Like I cannot do anything. I weigh, you know, a buck fifty, buck fifty-five. Trying to carry out a deer for you know, I can go. Well, you know, give me uh, nothing in my pack and I'll go forever. But you put some weight on me, I'm done, man. I I might get you a couple miles, but there, I just yeah. don't have that muscle mass. Kind of to your point of what you're talking about there. Which is why in the off season, I think it's so critical to be doing those things like lifting, mm-hmm. stair stepper, running those things, because it, it really does a great job of maintaining your muscle and being a, being in a position that when you hit that August, September, October time period, and you're out hunting a lot, you're going to be losing weight, mm-hmm. but you're still going to be able to maintain things to the point where you can complete the hunts and you can do it justice. You know what I mean? Yep. Like when I was up in Alaska for 17 days and you experienced this this year as well, you can't eat enough to replace all the calories you burn through. You just can't. No, you can't. I, I estimated that I was burning through 10 to 15,000 calories a day yep. and I couldn't eat candy bars fast enough to, to replace that, you know, nor, nor did I want to because you know, you get in those situations and you're like, oh, I don't want to eat. Yep. I'm, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and everything, you know, but I found that I was able to, to maintain my fitness was at the point where I could hike five to 10 to 12 miles a day in really difficult terrain and maintain it and do it. And, and I, I hate to think if I had showed up for that hunt not physically prepared and there's sheep on the mountain and it's like we gotta go get them we've mm-hmm. got two hours to get to that spot mm-hmm. and and say i can't, I can't do, do it, it. like oh. that would just be so heartbreaking oh, right man. yeah I, I think i'd have so, to quit hunting if that were the case if i if oh, i man. if i couldn't do it isn't it interesting that when we get in those positions like we're, we're working that hard we're burning that many calories a day and I, I felt the same way you did. Like I, when I got back to camp, I had to like force myself to eat. I didn't want to eat. I was so tired and, and I just wanted to go to bed. I, I didn't, I didn't want to eat, but I, I knew in the back of my head that I've got to, I've got to have these calories if I'm going to, you know, and, and I probably could have continued on like you, you're saying, I think I did a lot of preparation beforehand that I probably could have kept going. But you've got to fuel while you're out there to be able to to keep going. Otherwise, you will crash. And regardless of what you've done for preparation, you've got to have some intake. Because I, I was like you, I man, I was dying for some Snicker bars. Oh, <laughs> I wanted Snicker bars so badly. <laughs> but but at the end of the night, I'd always come back and I'm like, oh, I got to eat a mountain house, and I don't want to eat a mountain house. But I just I just forced myself to do it to give myself the the fuel. I want to talk a little bit about that, um, but before we get to the fueling aspect of it, because I'd love to hear your like kind of your nutrition side of things, what you do beforehand and and also while you're on the hunt. But I want to talk about feet um, because a lot of people think, oh yeah, I've got to prepare my legs. You know, I got to do squats. I've got to you know I've got to prepare to be able to carry that pack. But what a lot of people neglect to do is make sure that that other parts of their body are prepared. You know, I mean, things that you don't think about, you don't, you don't think about, you know, my shoulders from my pack, you know, I've, I've got to prepare because I'm going to have a lot of strain on my shoulders from my pack. So I've got to be ready for that. A lot of people don't think about their feet. You know, you've got to prepare your feet for that. If you're 
sitting at a computer all day long for work and you're never out in those boots and you're never, you know, hiking, putting miles on, your feet are going to hate you regardless of what boots you have. I, shout out to Crispy. Love you guys. But, you know, regardless of what boot you have, it can wreck you. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Like, what do you do prior to the hunt? And then also, what do you do during the hunt to help preserve your feet? Yeah, it's a great question. So about... 10 years ago, I got a Liz Frank injury in the arch of my yeah, foot. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I'd love your perspective on, on the marathon running. For me, 10, 20 years ago, I could go running and, and I could grab a new pair of tennis shoes off the shelf and I go running and it's like no problem. Right. right? Yeah. It's different now, when you're 30 and 40 oh years old. Oh my gosh. I get home and my feet are just aching if I do something like that. And yeah. I'm like, what happened, right? <laughs> so, so I, I've it, when I got that injury, I was like, man, I got to do something about this because it hurt, and you know, I felt like it was limiting some of my hunting and, and stuff. And so, I went into a podiatrist, and they're like, you gotta improve the inserts in your shoes. Yep. Um, and, and he didn't go so far as to say you need orthotics or anything like that. Um, but what I did is I, I did some research and I found some good inserts for my shoes, some aftermarket inserts. And the more research I did, the more I realized even really good manufacturers, you mentioned Crispy. Crispy makes amazing boots, right? Right. right. But even right. their inserts, they're kind of junky, right? Yep. They're, they're cheap. They yep. just are. Nike inserts, they're cheap, yep. right? And so the more I realized that, I'm like, I've got to spend the extra money and get those. And it's frustrating because, you know, you go buy a $300 pair of boots and you're like, these should be perfect, oh, right? They should be. But to spend another 75 bucks on inserts, you're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's so worth it. It yeah. just is. I know a lot of people have talked um, really positively about sheep feet. Yeah, You've sheep feet. Heard of those. Oh, yeah. I haven't I haven't dropped the three hundred and fifty dollars on inserts yet, <laughs> and I don't know if I ever can justify that. But but it goes to show you that that it's really crucial. And as soon as I started using those inserts, that Liz Frank injury mm -hmm. gone. gone, and and it shows you getting that arch support, and you combine that with. Um, like you said, you need a great pair of boots. And my recommendation is try on 20 different Every pair and find the ones that are, that are good for you. And man, that's been, that's been a money move for me. That's really helped me. I love that dude. I, man, I, I agree with you. The insert piece. So, so as a marathon runner, you know, you beat the crap out of your feet, you know, you just destroy your feet. And so I've, I really don't have too much issue with, with that, um, because my feet are so used to just taking a pounding. Um, but it's different, you know, that, and that's another thing is, you know, kind of going back to your working out in the gym versus going on a hike with a, you know, weight in your pack or something like that, you know, running definitely work, you know, abuses my feet a little bit different than hiking with a pack on. And so what I found is I can, I can take that beating. I can take all those steps but the difference is, is having that weight, and that's where the the inserts come come into place, play because those inserts can adjust your pressure of your foot the way that your 
your foot, your unique foot needs to be adjusted. And so it can be an absolute game changer to, to put a good insert in there, get used to that insert as well. You know, don't, don't put a new one in and then head to the mountain on your 17 day Alaska hunts. And right. yeah, you're going to get in trouble there. Make sure that you, you know, on those hikes that you're going on to prepare, you know, where you're mixing that into your workout system, throw those boots on with those inserts start getting your feet used to that. I think that's a, a huge deal to, to just get ready for, for those hunts. Do you do anything when you're on the, on the hunt specifically? Are you one of those guys that take your boots off during the day, let your feet air out? Are you just a, you go all day long and, uh, you, you don't have to worry about it. What, what do you do? So I used to be one of those guys that would go all day long. And when I started hunting with, with the same buddy I was mentioning earlier, um, I don't know why this had never occurred to me, but, but it just hadn't. We're sitting on the mountain, we're glassing for muleys and he takes his boots off and I'm like, Oh, are you getting some, some moccasins on for a stock? Did you see a big one? What's going on? And he's like, no, it just feels good. Take your boots off. And it, it was after a long hike, you know, and we're at the top of the ridge and there's a breeze. I take my boots off and it was like, a revelation. <laughs> it was like, oh, this feels so good. And I was sold from, from then on out. And so I take my boots off whenever I can, any possible moment. Another pro tip is, especially when you go to Alaska, but really any back uh, backpack, backcountry hunt, take a pair of Crocs. Yeah. Oh, it's such a, it's, it's so nice to get back to camp and throw the Crocs on and it's just nice and soft and you give your feet a rest so that you're ready to hit it hard the next day. Dude, for sure. I was on a Colorado hunt, oh gosh, probably two or three years ago and uh, went with a bunch of guys, a couple of the guys I went to Alaska with and we're sitting there on the hill kind of just glassing and I did the same thing. I started taking my boots off. The reason I did is because I watched a... Uh, Oh man, what's that guy's name? Oh, he does a lot of mule deer hunting. Is it Randy? New yeah, Randy Newberg. Uh, I was watching uh -huh. one of his videos, and he did that, and he was talking about that. He's like, it was like a revelation, you know. It just it changed, you know, change your hunt. And so we're just sitting there. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna. We're not going anywhere for two or three hours. I'm gonna take my shoes off and let my feet air out. You know, it gets sweaty going up the hill and and whatnot. We hiked like eight miles into where we were sitting, and I was like, I'm gonna take the the boots off. And dude. Since that moment, uh, when I first did that, I'm like you now. Anytime that I can, if I'm sitting there glassing and doing whatever, keep a pair of, of Crocs hanging on the backpack. They weigh nothing, so you don't even know that they're back there. But yeah, take the boots off. Throw the Crocs on while you're just out glassing. If you need to get up to pee, you don't have to put your boots on or anything like that. You know, it's just, oh, I love that. Pro tip, having the, the Crocs with you. I, I think that's, that's well, huge. And you, you don't realize, at least I didn't previously, you don't realize how much your feet sweat, mm -hmm. especially if you have a pair of gaiters on. Yep. It just, it, it traps all of that moisture inside. And so to get your feet out and if nothing else, dry your feet out and, and air your boots out, mm -hmm. it removes a lot of those friction points where you're going to get blisters on your heel or on your big toe or something like that. So. Yeah. 
Yep. A lot of people think that their feet don't sweat, and I hate to break it to you guys, but your feet sweat. Yeah, I mean, some do sweat more That's than others. That's why shoes stink, right? Exactly, exactly. They they sweat. They're going to sweat. It's, it, it's okay. It, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, air them out. Avoid those those blisters. You know, another pro tip, a couple of things that I, I've also started using, I'm interested to see if you use them as well, is um, I've purchased, well, a couple of things. One is Leukotape. I, I use Leukotape like on my Achilles, sometimes on my heel. If I feel like a hot spot, I'll put a, a piece of Leukotape there. And also sock liners. Are you a sock liner guy? Yes. Yeah. So I just got turned on to those about uh, three years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago or so. Carhartt makes a great pair. Yeah. Um, those are the ones I use. I know there's a couple other uh, folks that make them. But, yeah, those – those I <laughs> – when my, my when my buddy first suggested them, I'm like, dude, those are like girl socks, yeah. man. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so and so I, you know, he he's like, I'm telling you, they're awesome. And so I tried them out and I was like, oh, these are awesome. Cause it does reduce that that friction a little bit. And it also is nice because you know how weather is in the high country. Man, one minute it's freezing cold and the next minute. It's just blazing hot. Yep. And so those those have been really nice because let's say it gets real hot. I'll just take my wool socks off, put them in my pack, mm-hmm. and I've got those liners and I run them and it works great. That's a good idea. I haven't done that. That's a, a really good idea. I'm all, you know, because I've got my uh, merino socks that I, I'm usually wearing. But man, Justin, that's a really good idea. I think I'll have to do that because you're right. I mean, especially, you know, if you're hunting desert countries, you know, or desert country, you know, where it, in the when it's dark, early mornings, it is freezing cold. But right. come 11, 12 o'clock, it's, it's blistering hot. And so that's a really good idea. Go take those socks off. Plus, it gives your socks an opportunity to air out, dry out put them back on in the evening when it gets cold again you have a nice fresh pair of socks that's a fantastic idea i gotta write that one down i also i also totally agree with the luco tape i've used moleskin before and moleskin's got its place but i've had too many instances where the moleskin will rub off yeah and luco tape is a better option no question that's what i found too i i initially had been using uh moleskin and yeah it kind of like rolls up and kind of bunches up in your in your sock and can sometimes cause a little bit more problems than than help so yeah no i i love that those are that's some great great tips right there so okay so let's go back to uh nutrition sorry we're bouncing around a little bit here but uh, i kind of want to hit on all all those things so um so nutrition, you drink Mountain Dew and eat Cheetos all year long, and that's your your staple for hunting season. Maybe add in a few beers, something like. That. I'm just kidding. I'm just Pizza kidding. on Friday. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Tell us. I mean, talk a little bit about kind of your nutrition, what you recommend for hunting, because you know, as a marathon runner, my marathon diet and and preparation is definitely different than my hunting diet and preparation. So, what do you recommend as hunters to do in the off season, during the hunt, things like that? Yeah, so I mentioned how hard it is, how disciplined you have to be to get up every morning or in the evening, whatever time works for you to to work out and to do a workout, right? And it is hard. It it's, is. It's difficult. Eating right is harder, yeah. in my opinion. Yep. It just is. 
um, because it's so easy to, and we all have stressful jobs. It's so easy to have a stressful day at work to come home and just inhale food. Yeah. And it, it makes you feel better. You know, it's, it's hitting those receptors in your brain that you're like, ah, oh, life is okay. I can do this another day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that we have food to enjoy. And I think we should enjoy it. I really do. But we have so much excess in our society. And it's not just food, but it's in a lot of things. But but food is so easy to attain. And it didn't used to be that way. I, I even look at my grandfather and great grandfather. So I grew up on a fourth generation farm, like I mentioned, and I had a close connection with my grandfather and great grandfather because they lived just down the street from me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would hear them tell stories about hunting trips that they took. And back in those days, the hunting trips, they meant something perhaps more than they mean today, because that was the meat for the winter. Right. Because they didn't want to slaughter a cow because that cow was money in their pocket. Right. right? Yep. And times were more more lean than, than they are now. And so... I, I hear them tell those stories and it gives me an appreciation for, okay, this is how I should treat my body. And this is, you know, a tool that I need to take care of. And the most critical aspect of that is eating right. So what I do, and this is, this has changed a little bit over time as I've gotten older because your metabolism slows down a little bit, you know, yep. and your body changes a little bit. So what I do now is I work out, like I said, in the morning, I try to not eat past 7 p.m. at nighttime because I want to get in that um, keto uh, state where your body is focused on burning fat rather than muscle. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I try to do that. I hit the gym. By the time I'm done at the gym by about 7, 730, it's been 12 hours. Yeah. And your body usually hits that keto stage at about hour 10, 11, mm-hmm. right? And so I know at that point, my body is really focused on burning fat and not, um, you know, targeting my muscle or just pure cardio system. Right. Um, that, that helps a lot. I get home. I have a protein shake. That's all I have for breakfast now. Um, I'm a big believer that we, we eat way too many refined carbohydrates in our American style diet. And we don't eat enough protein. We don't eat enough vegetables and it's a huge, you know, there's, there's not balance in your diet when you're doing that because what your, what your body is doing when you're eating too many carbohydrates is it's shooting your insulin levels way high. And then that's what your body's focused on. And it's taking all those extra calories and it's just storing them. Yep. It's storing them. It's not burning them. Right. Right. And so if you, if you can get in that keto stage and you're consuming protein, they've actually done studies. I've actually read the medical journals on these, your insulin level will stay the same. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's a huge reason why people who have a high protein vegetable diet, why they're able to maintain healthier weights than people who don't. What I do from there is I'm usually um, just focusing on 
high protein vegetables. Um, for dinner, I will consume carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's family time. Right. And it's an opportunity to just hang out with the family and eat something good. And my wife is a really good cook. So, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Can't help yourself there. <laughs> right, right. And, and that's kind of my way of kind of winding down a little bit on the day. But if you look at the amount of carbs that I'm consuming, yeah, it's, it's... totally in proportion to what I'm putting out for that, that day. Exactly. No, I think that's that's exactly it. And, you know, you started this off by saying, you know, the food, there, there's some food that's meant to be enjoyable and we should enjoy it. You know, I, a lot of people have, there's all these fad diets out there. Hey, you can do intermittent fasting, which, you know, to a point you kind of do that a little bit. At least you, you're getting the benefits of it without it being a fad diet. You know, there's the keto diet, there's the paleo diet. But I think a lot of those don't fit into the lifestyles that, that we live. Like you said, we have jobs, we have families, we have the lifestyle that we live. And so you have to kind of adjust what you do based upon the lifestyle that, that you live. And, and at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is kind of what you just re- ended with right there is making sure that you're, you're burning, you're putting out more than what you're, you're taking in. You know, like you said, the carbs that you're taking in, if you have, a little bit of pasta or something like that at the end of the day is kind of negligible in comparison to what you've done the rest of the day. You know, your body will know how to burn that rather than store that. And so that, that really prepares you. What about, do you do anything different leading up to a hunt or do you can, do you stay with that same system? You go on your hunt and you, and you continue that during, during the hunt or do you increase your calories going up to, I'm just thinking from a marathon standpoint, you know, as I get closer to the marathon, I start eating like a pig. I mean, people kind of laugh at the way that I eat the, the, well, not the, I don't do it the week before. A lot of people do the week before. I'm not that person. I do it two weeks before, but uh, I, I really start to kind of prepare myself for that. Do you do that going into a hunt? And then do you change that when you're on the hunt? Yeah, I've never done it going into a hunt. Um, I just have never felt like I, I see the benefit from really loading up before a hunt because mm-hmm. I feel like I I'm in good enough condition and my fitness is where it should be and I've been preparing for months beforehand so I don't I don't really see the need for a marathon because I've done like some Spartan races and stuff like that yeah I have done it for that and it's been hugely helpful yeah but for a hunt I haven't seen the benefit myself on the hunt itself you know, you you can't you can't do the same diet you do at home. It's just impossible. the The hard thing, especially, are vegetables and fruits, yep. right? Yep. It's just really difficult to get those. Um, and so, what I've done, and it's been really successful for me, is for for my hunting plan, I always have a variety of breakfasts. Some mornings I'll do like a mountain house or a peak meal or something like that because I want some extra protein that I want that early on mm-hmm. so that it's not affecting my insulin levels and therefore my energy levels and I can just hit the ground running. Other mornings I do do some oatmeal packets. Yeah. Um, oatmeal is a really healthy carb and so I don't see like a midday shutdown or anything like that. And that works well for me for lunches. Um, I'm a big believer in 
high fat, high protein Mm -hmm. on a hunt. So what I do is I do lots of jerky, nuts, um, things like that. Peanut butter sandwiches are a go-to. I also believe, I don't know if you've experienced this on in your marathons, there's there's a placebo effect there. It's like you've got a PB and J on the mountain and you get this flashback of when your mom made that PB and J for you. And you're like, man, I got this. Let's yep. go. Yep. You know? <laughs> and so, so, you know, a PB and J is not like, it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but it gives me, it puts me in the right mental state. And it also, you're burning through so many calories. Yeah. It really doesn't matter that much. So I'm a big believer in those. And then I try to bring some dried fruit yep. with me when I can. If it's only like a three-day hunt, I'll throw a an apple or something like that. Because apples keep really, really good. You know, they'll mm-hmm. preserve. And so I'll have that on the mound. And if you want to taste something delicious, eat a green apple on top of the mound. Oh, That's man. money. Uh yeah, I do a lot of those same things. My wife, so my wife is a food nut. You know, she, no processed sugars, no, really hardly any processed food. Um, so she, she dries apples. And so, you know, dried apples are, are something that I'll take on hunts. Jerky is a, another huge one. Um, yeah, I think a lot of those things. It's funny that you say PB&J because like that is my marathon morning meal. So when I wake up in the morning for before a marathon, I get a, a half of a bagel. I put peanut butter and jelly on it because the cool thing about PB and J, yeah, it may not be the healthiest for just everyday life. You know, as a kid, like you said, that's what we grew up eating. But, um, but the thing about a PB and J is it really gives you everything you need when you're burning a lot of calories. You know, it has it has the the protein, the fats, the carbs, the sugars all those things that you need in one cool little package and, and it, it gives you immediate energy, but then it also gives you sustained energy throughout the day. And so, yeah, that's my, that's my marathon breakfast right there is a half a bagel with, with uh, peanut butter and jelly on it. So I have incorporated that into my hunting as well. I use that. I eat PB and J's all the time when I'm hunting because it, it's easy to throw in the pack. It keeps all day long. You know, sometimes it gets a little smashed up in there, but it still tastes the same. But you're right. There's also that little placebo effect that it, it kind of, it's a little bit of a pick me up. You know, it it's just something that's like, okay, this is all right. You know, life is, life is good. You know, we're, we're, we're okay. And it'll get you through the rest of the rest of the day. So do you do any kind of uh, protein bars or uh, any of that kind of stuff while you're on the hunt? I hate protein bars. (laughs) This this might be a super unpopular opinion. I know a lot of guys run them and I get why, because it's a lot of calories per ounce. Right. And I totally understand that argument. I cannot swallow those things. It's just like you're eating them and they're dry and they're tasteless. And I just hate them to death. (laughs) When we were up in Alaska, there were days where I was like, I know I need the extra calories. I know I do just to keep my energy up. And I still couldn't eat those things. They were just awful. So I am, I'm not a fan of protein bars. I do not take them at all. I've never found one that I like. Um, I do like to mix it up with my lunches because it's something fun to look forward to. It's like, 
I love those habanero uh, almonds. Yes. That Blue Diamond makes. Oh. Those are oh, those are awesome. I got a package so right I over there, actually, of those. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> So, so I'll have some of those on day one and on day two, I've got some cashews and on day three, I've got some honey roasted peanuts or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll mix it up that way, mix it up with my jerky, mix it up with my fruit. Instead of a PBJ, I'll have a, a hazelnut sandwich or something like that. Yeah. And that keeps me going because it keeps me engaged and I'm like, oh, cool. I got this now. The other thing that I do is I always have a candy bar in my lunch yeah. every day. Yep. Um, again, it, it doesn't add a lot of nutritional benefit. I mean, it, there's a little bit of protein there and stuff, but it gets you in the right frame of mind. And the mental toughness is just as important as the physical um, toughness, in my opinion, and it's it's something to look forward to and you have fun with it mm-hmm. and i never i never go without one dude lee so lee's that 70 year old guy that i went with and we were i think we were day 3 on this hunt and uh i had a one of the fun size snicker bars in my in my bag and and i could tell that he was kind of wavering a little bit it, it, it had been a lot of hiking and a lot it was just kind of beating him up and I, I gave him that that little Snickers bar, and and you it was it was like a physical transformation for him. You know, he went from like bending over when we're hiking, taking the weight off of his pack, to let's go. And he said it many times. Like we got back to camp that night, and he's like, "Taryn, I can't tell you what that Snickers bar did for me. I mean, that just that just changed. You know, like you said." nutritional value there probably wasn't a lot of nutritional value it probably did not give him the the energy spike that he he really got i think it was a lot of the the mental uh side of it he just it, it did it just kind of made him realize hey this life is good i can do this i'm excited i'm happy just a little bit of a, a comfort out there and like i said it was just a little fun size snickers bar but it did all the difference on a 70 year old man in the back country of alaska and that's a perfect example to show you that your body can do a lot more than you think it can. It really can. I mean, when we went to Alaska, my dad went for a whole month, 30 days in a row at 67 years old with a variety of health conditions. And he just gritted it out. His, his thing that this might sound funny, but his, his go-to on really hard days when he's like, I don't want to keep going. I want to call it is he would imagine my sons. I've got two boys. He would imagine my boys tied to a tree at the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've got to get to the top of the mountain to save my grandsons. And it was just this mental thing that he had, you know, and, when he told me about it afterwards, I'm like, you did what, you know, <laughs> but, but it was his way of getting in the right mental space where he's like, I can do this. I'm tough enough. Let's go. And that grit Dude. is, is so crucial. I think I get that. I, I've never told anybody this. This is the first time this has ever come out of my mouth, but like when I'm running marathons and I'm getting to like that mile 20, 21, they call it the wall. You know, you hit this wall where it, it's really your mind that's shutting down more than it is your body. 
And I will do that same thing. Like I will play in my head if someone's like taking my boys or my girls or my wife or something like that. And I have to chase after them. Like I start doing that kind of stuff in my head too, just to help me keep going. So dude, I get where your dad was, is coming from with that. And I'll bet you, if you ask a lot of people, a lot of people have kind of those things in their mind that like, okay, what, what has got to, what have I got to tell myself to keep myself going, keep myself energized and everybody's a little bit different, but that's, that's funny that you say that. Cause like I said, I've never told anybody that with, with any of my marathons. That's awesome. Well, Justin, dude, I appreciate you uh, sharing some of this information with us because you know, fitness and health has really come into play for, for hunting, you know, back in the day, you know, flannels and blue jeans, it was just a different world and the Cameron Haynes and the, you know, those kind of people of of this world have have kind of changed things, whether you want to agree with that or not, hunting has changed. It's changed from kind of that flannel and blue jeans to we're athletes, you know, we, we work very hard in the, the wilderness athletes, the mountain knobs, the, you know, those kind of things they've really started to play a role in this, in this world that, that we call our passion, our, our hobbies, our love, whatever you want to call it. And so fitness and health is, is a huge point of it and, and both the preparation and also during the hunt. So I appreciate you sharing some of these, these insights with us, with our, our listeners, because I, I know that they have big hunts in mind and they want to know what they can do to prepare it. I talk to a lot of Eastern hunters that are like, Hey, I want to come out West what can I do to, to get ready for it? What do I need to buy? You know, what do I need to buy a, a new scope that has uh, turrets on it? Do I need to buy these shooting sticks? My answer always is no. The, you, the number one thing you need to start doing is you need to start working out. You know, you're fat. You, you got you to gotta fix this first. And then, okay, then maybe there's some things that you can buy. Maybe you can b- go buy the sheep feet that cost $300. You know, right. but, but first and foremost, you got to get healthy. You've got to get fit. You've got to get ready for what this is going to be because you don't you don't want to come out and go hunting and be three days into it and be like i can't do this anymore you know i got six more days on this hunt but i can't do it because i physically can't do it you don't want to be that that person and so i appreciate these things that you've shared before we go any other as you've thought about this preparing for this podcast is there anything else that you wanted to to give out any any other pro tips any other tips or secrets that you use I think the only thing um, that I would leave with everybody is invest in yourself. That's the best thing that you can do. And you see people doing this in the sports field all the time. LeBron James, he spends $2 million a year of his own money beyond what his team is doing for him on his physical fitness. Look what it's done for his longevity. It's incredible. It really is. Tom Brady is another example. Um, And so you see people doing these things, Cam Haynes and some of these guys, and investing in yourself is going to enable you to be that much more effective out in the field when you need to go that extra mile to get to the ridge, to get the shot on the bull or whatever. You don't want to look back and say, I wish I would have hit the gym more. Right. And so that's, that's the best advice I think I could possibly give. I think you just gave me the name for this podcast, invest in yourself. I think that is what we, what we leave people with right there. Cause, cause you're right. We don't want to be in those positions where we, we can't go that two miles. We, we can't do those things. 
that would crush me if I if I couldn't do that. I mean, going back to this blacktail I shot just a couple of weeks ago, top of the mountain, worst place in the world to go to go shoot a deer, but I did it, you know. And if I wasn't in physical good enough physical condition, I couldn't have done it, and that, that would have bothered me. So invest in yourself. I I love that, Justin. I think that's a that's a great title for this podcast. That's a, a great thing to to go by. We can spend so much money in this in this industry, but I think if you don't invest in yourself, all that money, you're just blowing it away. It's not going to do you any good if you don't invest in yourself and be out there. So, well, Justin, I, I sure appreciate you, man. I, I Again, like I said in the beginning, I appreciate everything you've done the, and you can continue to do for eHunter, for the, the wildlife foundations that you're part of, for hunting and conservation. Uh, you're a great man. You have a great family. You know, just, just keep on doing what you're doing. We sure appreciate you, brother. Yep. Thank you. Send some tags my way next year. I will. Yeah, let's get you. We got to get you hunting. <laughs> I know. Jeez. <laughs> cool, brother. Well, I'll let you back to your family. But again, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Jared. Have a good one. You too. See you, buddy.